Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. My goodness. Y'all didn't think I could get dressed that quick. I didn't either, to be honest. Guys, turn to Deuteronomy. It's where I want you. Woo! No, it's not that I've been physically active. I'm just not been in shape. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where I want you to be. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath your seat or it's in the seat back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Feel free to take it. Um, As you're turning there, I want to introduce to you, as as Mike said at the beginning, uh, the next Sunday is Vision Sunday. And he so rightly said that it's, it's us looking ahead to see where God is taking us, how we're going to organize as a church, and what are going to be our priorities in ministry. So if you would be so obliged to tune in next week, that would be an amazing thing, May 2nd. So one thing that I honestly was not mentally, emotionally prepared for as a parent was to be able to carefully and reasonably answer the question, why, when my kids asked it, right? I mean, guys, have you, have you ever realized that the question why is literally able to be uh, used in every circumstance? Yeah. Why? Because it's just that good of a question. But why? I don't know. It just works that way. But why? Right? You could say the sky is blue. Why? Right? You could say I'm turning bald. Why? I don't even know that answer. I'm still trying to figure that out. I think it's my grandpa. He's got bad genes. Anyways. So you remember, I don't know about you, who's, who, are, who are my Avengers people who love the Avengers, right? Remember that scene in the Infinity War when um, Peter Quill is hunting down his uh, girlfriend Gamora and he comes across Tony Stark and Spider-Man and, and he says to Spider, or, uh, Tony Stark, he says, where's Gamora? And then Tony Stark's like, oh, I'll do you one better. Who is Gamora? And then Drax, the idiot, just sitting on the ground, says, I'll do you one better. Why is Gamora? <laughs> And it turns into like this existential reality question, and it's just so weird. Anyways, that's a terrible example, but basically, yeah, it's a really good question. Why? Every time it can work. I mean, I remember as a kid, I would play a game where anything that was said to me, I'd respond with why, right? It was the most annoying thing for everybody else, but I really enjoyed it. Now, when my kids ask the question why, most often it's simply because they're trying to get an explanation of things. So, so if I can be working on like a retaining wall in our backyard and they come up, oh, why are you doing that? And I'm like, oh, that's easy. I can tell you that. But, you know, I wasn't prepared for that moment when one of my kids, when asked to clean up all the toys that blanketed the living room floor, their response was, but Why? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to obey you? And guys, what's the response that we parents always give? Because I said so, so, right? (laughs) That should be enough. I'm the authority figure here, and because I said so, do it, right? that's, That's never been used in parenting. I don't know why I did that. Caitlin, I'm sorry. I just wasn't prepared for that. So we we always say, because I said so. But do we ever see Jesus do that? When when he's like, hey, love your neighbor. Why? 
uh, because I said so, <laughs> right? Or, 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 or repent, why? Because I said so. Don't commit adultery. Now why? <laughs> because I said so, right? Do we see him do that in the Bible? No. Why do we obey God's word? Why do we obey what he commands of us? Is it just simply because he said so? This morning, I think we're gonna jump really quickly into the answer, and I think it's a much more broad answer than just simply, hey, God said it, so we do it, although that is a part of it. So you should be in Deuteronomy chapter six. If you're not there yet, it's the fifth book of the Bible. And let me try to set up some of the scene of, of our passage and what's going on. So if you, know, if you know the narrative of scripture, you know that Israel had just been uh, set free from uh, slavery to Egypt and led out into the wilderness. And as they wandered, they encountered the living God and, and, and the, the tabernacle was set up and they followed God all the way to the promised land. And the generation that was set free out of slavery to Egypt got all the way to the edge of the promised land, saw how great it is and said, nah, we'd rather have slavery back in Egypt again. And so God's like, all right, they wander the wilderness another 40 years, that generation dies off, and the next generation comes in, a new, excited generation, ready to enter into the promised land, all right? And so what Moses is doing in the book of Deuteronomy is he's retelling them all of the terms and conditions of the covenant that God had set up with that prior generation. That's why the book is called Deuteronomy. It means second law, so we, we, we get to our, this place where, where Moses is detailing all of the commands in Scripture, all the commands of the law, all the terms and conditions. And, and obviously, you know, one of the best ones that he gives or the highest one that he gives is called the great Shema, right? It says, love the Lord your God, God with all your heart, soul, and might, right? That's, that's one of the ones that's in there. And, and, and it's the biggest one almost. And, 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 and so we get to this point where he's detailing all of this. And we get to verse 20. We get to verse 20, right? So remember, he's telling the generation, the second generation, all of the terms and conditions of the law. And we get to verse 20, where he gives us some discipleship advice for our children. In the context of a parent with a child, passing along the faith to the next generation. But you'll find out that his, his advice benefits our soul as well. So let's look at verse 20. When your son, this is Moses, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed us signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in, isn't that amazing, and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. That's where we're going to end this morning in our study in the text. So remember, Moses just got done saying, hey, make sure you do this and make this a part of your routine in life and make sure you stay away from that and don't do this and don't eat that. And oh, by the way, don't forget about this, right? Just tons of commands and laws. And, and then Moses poses the question, right? 
He poses the question that every adult knows a kid is going to ask one day. But why? Why all the commands? What's the meaning? What's the purpose of all of these commands in this covenant with God? These kids are going to be asking, why should I obey them, right? Why should I obey them? Because, because I have, I'm finding in myself a natural inclination to go do the things that I want to do, and I'm finding that they're really, they're, they kind of taste a little better, like they, they feel a little bit better, they satisfy me, maybe. So why would I want to go do these things that God says I should or should not do that don't seem better? Talk about what's going on in our generation. So how many of, how many of you, I, I got to ask, just raise your hand if you grew up in Awanas. Where are my Awanas people at? Anybody do Awanas? Oh, man. Your kids did. So do, in Awanas, it's a kid's program of discipleship. And one of the things that they do in it is as you memorize scripture and as you do good works, you have a treasure chest pinned to your, your vest and you get a little jewel. They just pop it right in, and once you, once you fill your treasure chest with jewels, you get a new treasure chest, and it's a different color, and you rank your way up. Guys, a lot of us view our obedience to God's command as our little treasure chest, and every time we do a good work, we get a little jewel, right? Or it's like this eternal chart of, of star stickers, right? Like my son's learning how to use the potty, and every time he goes, he gets a star on his chart, we, view, we can view obedience like that, like we're earning something great, aren't we? No, that's not it, right? On the flip side, though, if I can be honest, there's probably some of us here today who have not cared enough to carefully and seriously radically obey God's commands simply because we're under grace, right? The grace of God has become an excuse for however you want to live, and that's terrible as well. So we all need to know why we walk in obedience to God and to Jesus Christ. We all need to know the reasons. And Moses gives us this incredible answer. Notice how, how he instructs it, how he constructs it and, and, and puts it together. Notice what he says. When your son asks you, right, when he comes up and he says, hey, why, why should I obey all these commands? What's the point of it all? What's the meaning? He says, because God told you. Trick question, did he say that? No, right? That's not in there. Because God said so? No. No, you, you don't see it there. That's not what Moses says as to why we should obey God. Why? Because when we say only you should obey God because God said to do it, so do it. We only make God out to be an authority figure in someone's life. And that's not wrong, but that's not all. When we only say God said so, so obey, we limit him. We're not making him out to be the full character of, of a father who loves and, 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 and cares deeply and sacrifices greatly for you if all he is is just an authority figure. Because God is much more than authority figure. He is that and then some. So we can't just tell our kids, hey, you need to obey God because he said to do it. You need to tell them the whole counsel of God. You need to tell them all that he is. And Moses helps us with that. So, so, so one of the things that Moses does here is he puts it in the form of a narrative, of a story. So if you were to take a look at this, it's like he's saying, why should we obey God's commands? And, and then Moses is like, hey, gather around, kids. It's story time. Take a look at verse 21. He says, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. 
And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes, and he brought us out from there. So Moses places their obedience, he places our obedience to God in the context of the narrative. In the context of the narrative of their freedom from Egypt, where they were once enslaved to a wicked master who was just bent on consuming the Israelites for his own selfish gain. And they were unable to set themselves free. But then God sent Moses in. And with crazy signs and wonders, he brought the, Egyptian, or the Israelites out of Egypt from slavery to freedom. Guys, do you see the correlation there? Jesus is the new Moses, right? Scripture says that you and I were once slaves to sin. Like we couldn't do anything else. It was our master. We were under the domain of darkness and we had no hope of any kind of freedom. In other words, right? You and I were forced laborers under the oppressive slave master of sin and we were forced to do his bidding as he pleased and we couldn't set ourselves free. So whatever sin demanded of us, we obliged, we obeyed. And all we found as we were doing it was dirty rags to cover our shame and scraps and crumbs to feed our souls. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us made us alive together with Christ. Guys, Romans 6 says this. We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In other words, rendered powerless over us so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So God has set us free with his mighty hand doing majestic signs and wonders. Great and grievous against sin and death on that old rugged cross. So guys, God brought us out. So when we start to grow weary in our obedience to the Lord as believers, because you can be doing this for a long time, and when we start to grow weary or when someone else who doesn't know God comes up and say, what, what? isn't this oppressive? Like, isn't this a bit much? I don't understand why you devote your whole life to obeying God. The first part of your response should simply be this. Recall the saving power of God. Can we say that together? One, two, three. Recall the saving power of God. So you need to remind yourself and remind your friend that God saved you from a life of slavery to unrighteousness, right? So you need to recall all that you and I have been brought out of. So when your soul is saying, I'm so tired of this, why do I even do this? Why do I obey? Excuse me, the baptismal water did not taste good. Just kidding. When we ask, why should we obey? When our soul grows weary, we say, oh my soul, don't you remember the great work of salvation that God has done for you? Soul, you were once dead in sin and you've been brought out into life. Can't you remember that? 
as in too many ways, I personally fail to remember. And I, and I therefore then fail to walk in the joy of the gospel. And my heart can grow really weary and bitter in doing good. And I'm wondering if I'm not the only one. But when my soul catches a fresh glimpse of the beauty of the gospel, yet again, because I've found that there's a renewed passion within me to surrender more and more in my life over to my master in heaven. And I've always found it joyful when that happens. So why do we obey? Because God has powerfully saved us. We start with that. But this isn't all that Moses leaves us with. He gives us a second point as to why we should obey. So if you're in verse 23, it says, And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. Guys, isn't that the gospel? I love that language. God brings us out to bring us in, right? He brought us out of sin, Satan, and death, and he brings us in. And he's always bringing us out to bring us in, bringing us out of habitually poor relationships, of addictions, to drugs, uh, to, for, from pride and, and, and selfishness. And he's bringing us into righteousness, into life, into joy, into adoption as sons and daughters, into a deeper understanding of his word and a deeper understanding of his great love and kindness towards us. He's always bringing us out to bring us in. Look at what verse 23 says, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. So guys, remember, the Israelites were just getting ready to enter into that land, enter into the promised land, which was a region chosen by God to be the inheritance of his people. It's a beautiful land absolutely beautiful. It's flowing with milk and honey. Oh goodness. And Moses reminds them that they are about to see, realized a promise that God had made to their ancestors generations ago. They are about to see it brought to fruition. So do you see the correlation here at this part as well? Right? God brought us out of sin and death and he brings us into heaven where he is. He brings us into our new promised land across that Jordan River. Right? And he, he brings us into this land where there's no night anymore because the glory of God shines as the new day always. He gives us heaven where every pain and every sorrow and every form of brokenness will cease. He gives us heaven, which is a land flowing with every joy and pleasure that will last forevermore. He brought us out to bring us in. So why obey? Well, first, you got to recall the saving power of God. But secondly, recall the generous love of God. Can we say that together? One, two, three. Recall the generous love of God. Guys, our former master of sin hated us. It wanted nothing but our destruction for its own pleasure. In this new relationship with God, it is God's delight to give us everything that we need to enjoy him. It is his delight to give us every good and perfect gift. So why should we obey? 
Why should we look at God's word and be like, yeah, I wanna do that. God, help me do that. Why should we do that? Because God has saved us from so much and God has given us so much. Think about everything you already have right now in Christ. Think about it. You have God's spirit, his presence dwelling in you right now, which is a down payment of the things to come. You have the access to truth. You have the access to a helper and a counselor. Right now, you have been brought into the family of God as a son and daughter, all because of Jesus. You have right now every grace necessary for you to walk in godliness for the rest of your days. You have no condemnation right now and forevermore, anything that would condemn you before the throne of God in heaven. You have all of this and more, and yet there is more coming. There is coming a day when every illness in you is no more. When every wicked, every wicked thing in you that you see desiring things that are in the world that are broken and destructive will be no more. Right? You're going to see yourself get a new body and it's going to be perfect. There's going to be nothing wrong with it and it'll be immortal. It'll live forever. Guys, this is a very short list of all the things that we have in Christ because of God's generous love. So Moses doesn't just leave it there, though. He does something else, right? So he talks about how powerfully God has saved us or rescued us. We're to talk about how generous our God is to us as the reason for all these commands. But he doesn't just stop there. He gives a third part to his instruction for discipling the next generation or even our own souls which I just think is like a big bonus to everything he's already said. Look at verse 24, what Moses says there. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. Pause there for a sec. Notice that Moses has now finally addressed the commands. After this whole narrative of God's rescuing and generous love. Notice that at this point, finally, Moses brings up the commands after he's already presented the good news of the gospel, right? That's the proper order of salvation. That's the proper order of how this works, guys. Good works are the natural byproduct of true faith in Jesus alone and all the work that Jesus has done for us. Our works don't come before our belief. Our works come because of our belief, so Moses helps the next generation and helps us understand we need to be faithful in communicating that. What's the point of our kids obeying God's command if they don't know all that Jesus has done for them? We're just teaching them morality. But guys, we desperately need to put this in proper perspective. Any good work that we do is an overflow of our faith in Jesus alone. One of the things he does here is he throws this phrase. He says, to fear the Lord our God. That phrase is meant to be a summary statement of all the commands. And when we think about fear, we think, oh, I'm terrified by that, that, that horror movie that I watched. That's not the kind of fear that we're talking about here. There's a different kind of fear. It, its meaning isn't just simply to be afraid. It's to be in awe of, to marvel at, to feel small in front of. And that's the summary of the law. So God commands us to do all these things, in summary, to fear the Lord our God 
For what reason? Look at verse 24. For what reason does he say, why ought we to do these things? For our good always, that he might preserve us alive. So this is where we get to the third part of Moses' instruction for how we ought to disciple our souls and the next generation. First, obviously, we need to recall the saving power of God. Secondly, we need to recall the generous love of God. But what also do we need to do? We need to recall the goodness of God's commands. Can we say that together? One, two, three. Recall the goodness of God's commands. Literally, Moses is saying here that all the things that God has commanded them to do, they're for our good. They're for our benefit. They're for our flourishing in life. They're for our prosperity and joy. So not only that, but he also says that God gave the commands to preserve us, to keep us alive. Imagine if the command don't murder didn't exist. Would we still be alive? Probably not. Guys, this is the nature of God's word, of his commands. What God commands us is not because he's trying to take away something pleasurable, right? It's because he's leading us to and he's preserving us in joy and flourishing. So for example, when we see the commands to weep with those who weep, or to, to not let the sun go down on our anger, or to not get drunk, or to respect our husbands, or to love our wives, or don't commit adultery. When we see all of these things, these commands are not designed to steal away from you good things. But I can tell you this, for about 15 years, I believed that they were. It's this very thing that kept me from wanting to surrender to Jesus. Because I thought that all of God's commands were keeping me from things that I thought were more pleasurable. With women, with life, with popularity. I believed that God was saying, don't do this. And in not doing that, he was trying to keep me from experiencing life to the full. But how wrong did I get it? And I finally understood that it's the opposite. All of God's commands, everything that he asks us to do, are God saying, this way to life, you want to find life here on earth? It's this way. It's not out there. It's this narrow path and come this way. Come this way. Follow my commands and you're going to experience joy. You're going to experience freedom. You're going to experience life as I designed it to be in the first place. This way to life. Every time you see God command you to do something, remind yourself, God's saying, come, find life in this. So here's, here's the paradigm shift that we all need to have if we have not already experienced it. And it's this. Wow. There it is. God's commands are not limitations and obedience is not slavery. God's commands are life and obedience is freedom. Because a lot of us fill in the blank first. God's commands are limitations. That's how too many of us in the world think about how God commands. That they're limiting us from life here on earth. To, you know, YOLO, live it up, right? You got to do it. And we fill in the second blank and we say, and obedience to him is slavery. 
You think that freedom is you getting to do whatever you want to do? No, you're actually just a slave to sin. Because freedom is not you getting to do whatever you want to do because there are borders even around that. You can't do certain things in this country and get away with it. You can't do anything that you want. You want to try that? Go 50,000 miles an hour down this road and, and drive over tons of people and see what happens. You can't. There's laws against that. So freedom is not getting to be able to do whatever you want to do. Freedom is getting to finally, joyfully obey God. So guys, God's commands are not limitations. They are life. And God's commands and obeying them are not slavery. They're freedom. So guys, this is the nature of God's commands. And they are good. They are so good. God will preserve your life and he'll lead you into joy as you say, okay, God, I'll do that. But I need your help by your grace. So let me, let me try to give maybe two examples of how this plays out in our life. So one of the commands that I think is probably the hardest for us to obey, right, is the command to count others as more significant than ourselves, right? To humble ourselves and consider other people as more important. It's a Philippians 2 passage, right? It's not a very popular one. One of the things that we're commanded to do there is put ourselves subjected to other people, to consider them more valuable. And my, I'll bet you that when you've done that in your life, you've actually found it more joyful to be in that position. And you've probably found that when you do the opposite, when other people are below you, life just gets miserable. If you don't believe me, I'll show you. Trust me when I say you say to you that, that when you make everything about you, when you make you the whole center of the universe and why everybody else exists, your life will be exhausting and you will be utterly miserable because you'll always be asking questions or saying things like, well, well that, didn't person, that, that, that person didn't ask me questions about my day when I asked them about questions about their day, right? Or, the, or that person didn't pay attention to the stories that were ultimately about me because ultimately things about me. Or that, that person clearly didn't make any decisions that were considering me when they did that. And so on and so on and so on. Nothing will ever be enough for you. When you put up that post on Instagram and you keep checking it back to see how many likes you get or hearts, that's Instagram, Facebook is likes. And you keep checking it over and over again and you find out that person didn't like yours but they liked something else that somebody else posted. Well, they didn't, like, I guess it's just not about, it's, why aren't they doing this, right? It's just, it's about me, right? Like I post because of me. Nothing will ever be enough. So this is why God says, when you don't live for yourself and you refuse to put yourself at the center of the universe, there you're gonna find rest. There you're gonna find flourishing in relationships because relationships aren't always about you. They're about the other person for you, right? 
You find flourishing. You find life more colorful and beautiful when it's not about you. You don't believe me? I just try it this week. I dare you. Just this seven days, just try it. Try to put other people as more important than yourselves in your heart and mind by God's grace. Ask him to do that this week and just try out. Try it out. See how that turns out for you. Or do the opposite. You could put yourself as the center of the universe this week and try out how destructive that is. It's pretty amazing how destructive it is. I dare you. Try it. That's one example. Another example would be, guys, I, 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 I'm wondering if there are people in here who have wrestled so much with your own worth and your own identity and why you feel so used and consumed when you're waking up next to someone you don't even know after a rough night Or why you feel so used and consumed when someone is unwilling to make actual commitments to you and just wants you for your body, for their own pleasure. And they're unwilling to commit to you in a lifelong relationship where no matter what happens in the bed or in the house, they love you regardless and they'll never leave you. No wonder we have so many people wrestling with their own identity and their value. Why is that? Guys, I'm going to say the word. Because sex was designed to be most enjoyed in a covenant relationship between a man and a woman alone. And that's marriage. That's where sex is supposed to be most enjoyed. That's where God designed it to be enjoyed. Everything else is a shattered image, broken mirrors. So when God commands us to abstain from sexual immorality, which includes the lustful thought in the head, to the indulgence of pornography, to the rampant immoral living out in the society around us, with sleeping around, whatever, when God commands us to abstain from sexual immorality, he's not limiting you from those pleasures. He's protecting you from the destruction that comes. And he's trying to preserve you. And he's trying to say, listen, I've, I, you, you think that that way feels good. You think that that way is going to ultimately be most pleasurable. No, it's, it's this way, the narrow path. Follow me down this narrow path. Abstain from sexual immorality. Enjoy the wife of your youth. And you'll find human flourishing. Guys, the, the, the Bible promises us that if we embrace sin, the result will be destruction. So, so if you consider the nature of God's word to be preservation and abundant life, then you should also consider the opposite, that the nature of sin is destruction and sorrow. And so you're, you're gonna find life at its highest, at its best when you are most in submission to God's word alone. So the ultimate question is, why should we obey? Well, don't you remember how God has strongly saved you 
in such a powerful way? Don't you see and remember all the generous things that God has given us in his love and grace? Don't you remember just how good his commands really are? That they're not meant to be limitations and obeying them isn't slavery, but they're meant to be a pathway to life and obeying them is freedom? That's the reason why. Oh, that we would be a church, a people who would never lose sight of that, who would never find ourselves wandering off from this because this gospel is just so good that we would never grow weary in following his commands. And that when we do, people would be like, wow, why is You're flourishing. What's going on? Because each command in his word is a step on the pathway to a flourishing, beautiful, selfless life lived for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. My question is, do you want that? We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.